111 angels from the realms of glory, standing to sing. Thank you. 
you may be seated. I'm now wired up with a microphone. I was sitting on a black mat in the office and was camouflaged, and so I walked out without it. Uh, but I think it's all, it's all good now. We're going to turn in the Word of God to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, uh, thinking this evening of the incarnation of the Savior, uh, that wonderful and marvelous event that changed the course of this world. Galatians chapter 4, and we'll read the first seven uh, verses together. The Word of God says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his precious and inerrant truth this evening. Let us unite together in prayer, and let us come before the Lord asking for his help, his blessing, as we gather together this evening. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, we rejoice tonight that we can enter into thy presence. We can come into thy gates with singing, that we can rejoice that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent into this world to redeem them that were under the law. And Father, we thank Thee that we are reminded at this time of year of the coming of Thy Son into this world, and the coming of our Savior with a purpose to redeem His people from their sins. And we lift our voices to Thee tonight, rejoicing that there is a way of salvation and there is a way uh, by which uh, we can be reconciled unto Thee because Christ came into this world to save sinners. And we thank Thee tonight for this glorious gospel message. We pray that as we gather together that Thou would bless us, that Thou would meet our needs, and that as we turn to Thy precious Word that there would be that message and season driven home to our hearts by Thy Spirit. Father, we look to Thee uh, to bless us, to meet our needs. We do remember our congregation, the needs that we have. We pray, O oh God, that Thou would be pleased to meet with us and minister to our needs this night, especially our spiritual needs, uh, that we would, each one, be found resting upon the Savior, having founded our lives upon Him, resting secure upon Him who is uh, the great anchor of our souls. And Father, this evening we look to Thee to bless, forgive us for our sins, and may our hearts be in tune with Thee, we pray. And may we know the sanctifying power of Thy Spirit. And we look, Father, to our 
sister churches as well. We pray that would bless. We do remember our denomination and the needs that we have and the great responsibility of preaching the truth of the gospel of Christ. And Father, we look to Thee that Thou would bless, that Thou would continue to meet each need as we go forth uh, preaching Christ and Him crucified. We do remember our vacant congregations. Remember the great need for men to go forth into the harvest field. And Father, we look to Thee to uh, call men and to set men apart men called by thee for this particular work. And Father, we do remember our vacant churches. Bless them, and may in due time in thy will they find a man of thy choosing. Father, we look to thee this evening. Come amongst us, we pray. Help us as we praise thy name and turn to thy word. May we see the importance of thy word, the importance of thy word in drawing us to understand more of thy Son, our Savior, to understand more of the gospel of Christ, to understand more of uh, that life that we must live as thy people. Uh, Father, move in our hearts this night. Glorify thy name, and may we know thy presence with us as we continue in thy worship. And we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn again in our hymnals to hymn 108, 108, and we'll stand as we sing, please.
may be seated. And we're turning in the Scriptures this evening to Philippians chapter 2, the epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Philippians, and chapter 2. <coughs> and we'll read the first 11 verses together. And the Word of God says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious word again this evening. At this point in our service, can we extend a word of welcome to each one? Uh, we trust that you know the Lord's blessing as we gather together. To those watching online, we uh, trust that you too will be blessed as you listen in or watch our service this evening. To close of this uh, service, uh, we are going to go downstairs for a quick uh, cup of coffee. Uh, there are still a few uh, sweet treats remaining uh, from Friday evening, and we thought it good uh, to go down again and have some more. And so if you're able to stay, maybe it's only for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes after the meeting this evening, uh, there's a few uh, pastries and different things and coffee. Uh, so uh, we do encourage uh, you uh, to stay, but if it is that you do have to leave and slip home, uh, then uh, do so. Uh, but if you can stay, uh, come and enjoy the fellowship with us. The permitting is on Wednesday evening at 7.30, uh, so do uh, remember that. And then next Lord's Day, uh, we have our morning worship at 10.30, the prayer meeting at 5.30, and then the evening worship at 6 p.m. Uh, the next two Lord's Days, there is no Sunday school, and so we will be meeting for prayer at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, as we would in the summer when there is no Sunday school on. Uh, so we will meet at 10 a.m. for prayer, and not 9.30 for the Sunday school. On the 31st of December, the preacher at both services will be Mr. Stephen Boyd, and I will be preaching in our Calgary uh, congregation. Do you remember Saturday the 6th of January, the women's breakfast at 9, the men's prayer meeting at 7.30 p.m., 
and then the week of prayer that we have planned on Zoom from Monday the 8th to Friday the 12th of January at 7 p.m. each night, a Wednesday prayer meeting will be held in person as normal at 7.30 p.m. And uh, I will be uh, conducting our prayer meeting. Uh, the, I'll be conducting our prayer meeting uh, on, I think it is the, 20, the 27th, uh, I think it is, and I'll be in Calgary, but I'll be conducting that on Zoom. Uh, so do remember that as well. And then the Lord's Day Observation uh, Society. Uh, their magazines are available on the hall table. Uh, so do avail yourself of a copy and take one with you. <clears throat> Our congregation will celebrate its 40th anniversary next year. And so we're asking if you have any photographs of special occasions or news items or articles of interest that could be copied or scanned, and then the original return to you, please uh, contact myself, and uh, we can uh, get those off you to uh, try and have a bit of history of our congregation uh, for us to look at. And so uh, do do that. Some have already got photographs in. Uh, there's quite a few, some interesting photographs, some young faces, and uh, I'm sure there's more and more uh, regarding the building as well. Uh, it was interesting to see some photographs of this church being built uh, 30, just more than 30 years ago. And so there's great history, and uh, we want to reflect upon that next year in this way. These are all the announcements, the subject to the will of God. We're going to turn in our hymnals to the hymn number 94. Uh, the hymn 94, it has been changed uh, from the bulletin. Uh, the one in the bulletin was a mistake by myself writing down the hymn number. Uh, but hymn 94, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. And we'll remain seated uh, as our tithes and offerings are received, please. Sing the rest of this hymn, please.
again. You may be seated. And we're turning again in the Word of God to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And here we have a great definition, great exposition. Some would say uh, that it is a song or a hymn uh, that the apostle is writing here uh, that focuses upon the Lord Jesus Christ and speaks of who he is and what he has done, what he has accomplished for sinners such as us. And so Philippians chapter 2, and we'll read. We'll read from verse 5. And the Word of God says, And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Let us unite together in prayer, and let us seek his help this evening. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, we give thee thanks for thy word. We give thee thanks for this passage that we have before us that reminds us so clearly about thy Son and who he is and what he has accomplished for us. And Father, tonight we look to thee to bless, bless the preaching of thy truth, and may it be applied to our hearts, and may we leave this place in wonder and in rejoicing in the blessed Lamb of God who left the splendor of heaven, who humbled himself and became man to go to Calvary's cross to die for our sins. Father, we pray that the glorious message of the gospel would resonate with us this evening, that it would be applied to our hearts, and that we would know that blessing and that joy that comes from thy so great salvation. Father, meet our needs. There be those here outside of Christ who know not thee. We pray that would speak to their hearts. Draw them to the Savior, we ask. And may uh, that great spiritual work of thy Spirit uh, be done here this evening, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. The season of Christmas could be described as one of the world's great paradoxes. Every year we have people who hate, rebel, and reject the God of heaven participate in Christmas, which to give its religious significance is a remembrance of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. Year by year there is a carnival mentality 
as the humility and poverty of the biblical birth of Christ is connected to wealth and indulgence and enjoying the pleasures of the world, which of course last but for a season. There is much about Christmas that has no spiritual or biblical foundation. If we were to look through Matthew's gospel and Mark and Luke and John and go into Genesis to consider the prophecies and into the letters of Paul like we have this evening, we don't find a big man in a beard and red suit. And we don't find the North Pole elves. And we don't find candy canes. I actually didn't have a candy cane until I moved to North America. And so it was very much emigrate to Canada. And we have candy canes. Uh, but they are part of the celebrations. We do not find a sleigh or a red-nosed reindeer. And in reality, the majority of our Christmas traditions have nothing to do with the incarnation of the Savior. And this leads to confusion in the world about the biblical significance of this time of year. And we need to understand what the incarnation is all about. And it is the duty and the responsibility of the church of Christ to remember the birth of the Savior, to preach the birth of the Savior, to draw the attention of this world uh, to the one who was born as the Savior of sinners. Around 15 years ago, a leader in the Episcopalian Church in America wrote these words, and I came across them. These words are not fiction. I did not sit in my study and dream up a fictional account of comparing uh, what this individual is comparing. I did not write this, and it is not fiction. But they said that there are a few causes, a leader within the Episcopalian Church, there are a few causes to which I am more passionately committed than that of Santa Claus. Santa Claus deserves not just any place in the church, but the highest place of honor where he should be enthroned as the long-bearded ancient of days, the divine and holy one whom we call God. Santa Claus indeed deserves the exalted and enthroned place in the church, for he is, and they proceed to say that he is the Trinity etc. Those remarks are incredible. I've only given a little snippet of what was said. There's sheer confusion as to what Christmas is about, but it's certainly blasphemy to apply any sort of connection like that between God and a fictional character that has been dreamt up by men. And we come together as the Church of Christ to remember the birth of the Savior the birth of the Savior. We can enjoy Christmas traditions. I'm not preaching against Christmas traditions tonight. We all have what we enjoy and how we celebrate with families. My point this evening is that all of these things can cloud the true message of the incarnation of Christ. And as believers, that ought not to happen. We can have our traditions. We can have our family traditions and have our family time. But yet, Christ ought to be, as He is in every situation, and ought to be in every situation, the center of all of these things. And so we come to remember the birth of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we're to keep that central in our minds. And we're not to be drawn away into all these things that take our mind off the Savior. That is the point here. We're not to be drawn away so our minds 
are so filled with all the traditions of this world and our culture that our minds are taken from the Savior. And so tonight I want us to look at the birth of Christ from the view that is given to us here by the Apostle Paul. And in Philippians 2, we have what we could refer to as the theology of the incarnation. And this evening, I want you to see the significance of the incarnation. It is the central miracle of Christianity, for without the incarnation, there would be no Calvary, and no crucifixion, and no resurrection, and no ascension, and no coming again, and no salvation. And this miracle is the center of Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, in the passage we've read together. It is a Christological gem, a theological diamond that sparkles more than any other in Scripture. It describes to us the condescension of the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, to be born, to live, to die in human form, to provide redemption for mankind. And it is the theology that is behind the incarnation. And it tells us what happened from the divine side of the story. Now we must say that in regard to many of the specifics of the incarnation and how it happened, we do not know. It was a miracle that took place in the supernatural power of God. Uh, for as we refer uh, to Mary as a virgin, it was a miracle, the virgin birth, that the Holy Spirit so worked to make that happen. And there's a great mystery there. But we believe it because Scripture says that it is true, that it happened, that it took place. And so there's not everything that we can know about the incarnation. But here we have something that reveals to us what took place. And these verses are speaking about God, speaking about the one who is equal with God, speaking about the one who is Lord over all, our Savior and our Redeemer. Notice what verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And Paul here is speaking of humility. He's speaking of the need for us to be humble in our minds. Verse 3 says, But in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And Paul is teaching humility. We're to be humble. We're to think of others. We're not to be selfish. And he gives this great illustration of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom in coming into this world was not selfish, was not self-centered, but he humbled himself and he gave himself for his people. Let this mind be in you, this humble mind, this humility of heart, which was also in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is said that this is a hymn that magnifies our God and Savior. And these verses are more than a mere exhortation to be like Christ. But these verses help us to know Christ for ourselves with a wonderful clarity and precision. And Paul's desire is that the praise of our lips, as we praise Christ and as we glorify God, that the praise of our lips would also be the praise of our hearts and the praise of our lives as we think about the person and work of Christ and its effect upon us. And it is said that this brief and beautiful text that we have here 
is one of the fullest descriptions of Christ in the New Testament, one of the fullest descriptions of his identity as our Redeemer. And so I want us to consider this evening the theology of the Incarnation, the theology of the Incarnation. And that term theology in, I suppose, if we break it down into the Greek, theos and logos, it means words about God. That's what theology is, words about God. You may say, I'm not a theologian. I don't know the first thing about theology, but as soon as you open your Bible, you're a theologian. You're dealing with words about God. And that is what theologians do. There are many who delve into the deep things of God, and they write their books about the great doctrines of Scripture, and we think they're theologians. Uh, but in reality, everyone is a theologian, uh, because every time we engage with Holy Scripture, we're engaging with words about God. We're engaging in logos about theos, to use the Greek words for God and word. And therefore, we are theologians. And so if you have your Bible open this evening, if you're listening to the Word of God, you're a theologian. And I'm not saying we should all publish our systematic theologies next year, uh, but on a very simple and basic level, as we engage with God's Word, we're theologians. And we're dealing with the theology of the Incarnation, God's words about the Incarnation. We see, firstly, that Christ abandoned a sovereign position. Christ abandoned a sovereign position. Verse 6 identifies his person and his nature, who being in the form of God, he is the God of heaven. He existed before time began. And many will say that, well, Christ came into the world at the conception, when he was incarnated, when the Spirit of God worked within the womb of Mary, that's when the Son of God came into existence. He didn't exist before that. But the Word of God teaches us, and this is an important theological point, that He existed before that. The Trinity existed before the Incarnation and before the world began. And we could say the same of the Spirit of God. He descended at Pentecost, but He was at work before. He descended at Pentecost, but as the Son and as the Father... He had existed and is self-existent. And so the Savior did not come into existence at the time of the Incarnation, but He existed before then. If we look at the Hebrew words uh, regarding uh, the making of the world, the creation of the world, uh, we find that it is in the plural. And God is speaking, let us. He's not talking to the angels. He's speaking of a plurality. And that plurality we see as the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And he existed in glory, in the splendor of heaven, in the glory of that place where God dwells. And this statement captures the essential nature of Christ, he being in the form of God, he possessing the nature of God, his very being being God. He who had the attributes of God, being unchangeable, being eternal, but yet 
Through the incarnation, he became Emmanuel, which is God with us. John speaks of the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And he speaks about the Word being with God, and the Word was God. The Savior said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I was existing long before, long before in Colossians chapter 1. And we'll turn to Colossians just for a moment. The next book after Philippians, the verse 15, speaking of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And that means to say he is a direct representation. He's a di direct reflection of the invisible and eternal God. And that is where we start with the person of Christ. He is the second person of the Trinity. The second person of the Trinity. Uh, he is the eternal God. And coming back to, coming back to verse 6, uh, we find that it says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, in the sense uh, this uh, word robbery can mean to seize something or snatch something or take something that is not yours. And Christ being God was not robbery. For us to say we are God's, like the God of heaven would be blasphemy and it would be robbery. We are taking a title that is not ours. We are claiming attributes that are not ours. But yet Christ being the second person had all of these things. But we find that this sovereign position, this honor and glory that he had, he gave up these privileges. He made of himself no reputation, verse 7, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. We could look at this from a human perspective and we could think of King Charles. And over the years, many people have, well, had their opinions about King Charles or Prince Charles as he was known for the majority of his life. And some felt that he should step aside and let his son become the next king on the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, many had their issues with him. He seems to have got past all that now and is upon the throne. Uh, but imagine that we read that he steps down. He decides he doesn't want the royal lifestyle anymore. He's had enough of it. And he leaves the palaces, and he buys a little house in the middle of a town. And he gives away his money and he's left with what would be a very normal bank balance, typical of most of the population. And he goes into the local supermarket and he gets a job stacking the shelves or cleaning the floor or something like that. And we would sit back and marvel at this man sitting upon the throne, having all of his needs taken care of, and then leaving it all behind of his own choice and own free will to live a very normal life at the lowest working class of society. We would wonder what is going on within his mind. And from the human perspective, we find if it happens, it rarely happens. But we would find that we wouldn't want that, would we? to leave everything behind and to go and live on the street, to take that step down. But yet when we think of the Savior, He who is God, He, the blessed Son of God, made of Himself no reputation. 
He came into the world. He abandoned this sovereign position for the purpose of redeeming his people. He left the splendor of heaven. He was born not in a palace, but he was led in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. He left the splendor of heaven. And the great purpose in that was to go to Calvary's cross to die for us. We can think of ourselves. What about us and the Lord? Would we, would we leave our comforts? Would we leave the comforts of our nation, the comforts of our home, the comforts of our employments to go forth for the Savior? To leave it all behind because the Christ who made of himself no reputation means so much to us. Oh, the marvel, the wonder, and the mystery in this. He came into this world and he left his sovereign position, but notice secondly that he accepted a servant's place. He accepted a servant's place. Verse 7, took upon him the form of a servant. And the Greek word here is doulos. It means slave, slave. He came down. How far did he come down? He didn't come from being the king of heaven to being the king of Israel or to being the emperor of Rome or to being the leader of a local group of individuals. But he came as a servant. He came as a slave. He came to the lowest position. He took off the robes of majesty. He put on the garments of a slave. And that is what the Old Testament promised. The Old Testament spoke of the one in Isaiah 53 who was the servant of the Lord, who had no form nor comeliness, no beauty that man would desire him. He came and lowered himself. He humbled himself. In theology, it's called the humiliation of Christ. If we were to speak about humiliation tonight, and I asked you to speak about a time that you were humiliated, you would speak about embarrassment. Something happened to you, and you were embarrassed by it. But the humiliation of Christ refers to the humbling of Christ, the taking this place of a servant. He is the one who came not to be served, but to serve. The one who came to serve. And we need to remember that. The Gospel of Mark speaks of our Savior as the servant. It relates his life as the servant, the one who came into this world, humbled himself, took the servant's place to serve, to serve others in helping their needs, in ministering them the gospel, in humbling himself and service. Service in this world, whether it is in the hospital helping others, whether it is in a care home, whether it is in some other means by which we as humans can help others, it's about humbling ourselves. Doing things that aren't filled with pride, aren't filled with pomp and ceremony. Humbling ourselves. And service for God, service for the Savior, we have to humble ourselves, humble ourselves. There are many avenues of work for the Savior that 
revolve around humility. There are many faithful people in churches, and they're rarely seen. They're behind the scenes, working hard. You see them on a Sunday, and they seem to be like everybody else, but behind the scenes, they're working hard. Behind the scenes, there may be those who are praying hard for the work of the church, and we don't see that publicly. There may be those who are laboring hard and helping to support the work of the church, but we don't see that. But there's a humbling of ourselves, a sacrificing of ourselves for the service of the Lord. Humbling ourselves and relying upon Him. Often we can have the attitude that certain aspects of work are above us. There's things that we should not be doing. That work is for others who are lower than us. Let them do that dirty work. Let them get the weariness and the hardship of that work. We're above that. But yet service to the Lord is about humbling ourselves and doing that which is necessary for the work of God and doing that work that He calls us to do. I remember when I started speaking started preaching around churches. Did I start preaching to a thousand people on a Sunday? No. I started off very first time preaching in, an, in a care home. Most of the people, all of the people I went uh, to preach to that day have probably long since passed away. It was 23 years ago. And I remember preaching in different places and small gatherings, preaching on one occasion. One person came to the service that we had in one of our churches on the, on the, British, the British mainland outside Northern Ireland. One person came to a service. But yet you keep on preaching. You keep on serving the Lord. Oh, how many would love to preach to hundreds and thousands like Spurgeon. But we're to be humble humble servants of the Lord. The King of glory humbled himself and endured suffering and sorrow for you and I. What an example in humility. And we see thirdly then that Christ associated with sinful people. Christ associated with sinful people. In verse 7, it says that he was made in the likeness of men. This was necessary for Christ to be the Savior he was found in an appearance as a man. He became human. The same as humanity, a real man, a true man. He became God and man. And our catechism tells us that he was both God and man in the same person. He wasn't all God masquerading as a man or half God or half man. He was Fully God and fully man. Again, a great mystery. And he took on the likeness. That's why I say he associated with a sinful people. He came and was found, verse 8, is in fashion as a man. And he humbled himself. The 
The Savior did not come into this world and look differently. He didn't have that halo upon his head. He didn't float off the ground or glide that way through life. He was a man. He didn't have a robe that never got dirty or feet that never needed to be washed. He needed to eat. He needed water. He needed to sleep. He was as a man. That is why in Hebrews we find that he knows our needs. He was tempted like as we are. He didn't stand out in a crowd like he did in medieval paintings. He looked the same as others. He endured the sufferings and the sorrow of life. He associated with sinful people. He came as the pure and spotless king of glory and took upon him the form of sinners, yet he never sinned. And because he was God, he was incapable of sinning. He associated with sinners. He was like them. He went to the home like he did with Zacchaeus, but he was sinless and pure. He preached to sinners, those whom would be judged for their sin, those who had rebelled against the commandment of his father. He humbled himself, and he preached to them, and he served them, and he healed them. Oh, how marvelous. Dear believer, when we think of this this evening, we associate with sinful people. We live in a sinful world. But like Christ, who was not part of the sinful world, we ought not to be part of it either. We ought to be separate from it. We live in it, but we are not part of it. And therefore, we're to stand against it. And we're to hold high the banner of Christ against it. And we're to live by the grace of God righteously in this world, bearing testimony of our Savior. We associate with sinners, but yet... We have been saved and we have been freed because of the power of Christ. We see, fourthly, that he adopted, Christ adopted a selfless posture. He was selfless. We see this. This is what Paul is getting at. We're to be like this ourselves. And we are to be humble. We're not to, we're to esteem, as verse 3 says, each other better than themselves. Let this mind be in you, he says, which was also in Christ. And Christ was selfless. He was found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. How selfless was Christ? His purpose was to come into the world to go to Calvary's cross. Not to die for his sin, for he had no sin, but he died for you and I. He died to redeem his people. The cross was where he suffered and where he died. He was willing to submit to the will of his Father. He did not come into this world to be its king, to be the king of Israel. He came into this world. As Matthew tells us, thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. He became obedient and obedient to the death of the cross. Death on the cross was painful, shame, shameful. Deuteronomy tells us, Cursed is anyone 
who hangs upon a tree. Christ became a curse for us and suffered for us and gave his life for those who'd rebelled against him, but those who were his people. Oh, how marvelous! Oh, how marvelous! Dear believers, your heart filled with joy tonight when you think that at this time of year we can remember the Savior who came into the world, who died. Dear unsaved, tonight, do you think of Christ at this time of year? Are you thinking of why he came to save sinners like you, to redeem you? What a marvelous opportunity is in front of you, hearing of Christ and understanding something of why he came into the world, how he selflessly went to Calvary's cross to die for the sins of his people. Will you trust him? Will you repent? Will you believe upon him as your Savior? Oh, how marvelous his salvation is. And then we see that Finally, that he ascended, Christ ascended as supreme prince, as supreme prince. We see this, verse 9 through to 11. He died, but that was not the end of him. He humbled himself, but he did not remain in that state of humility. He was exalted. And we have here not only the humiliation of Christ, but the exaltation of Christ. He came and suffered the death of the cross. And then we're told, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How marvelous! Words that exalt the Savior. And this is what happened. God exalted him. He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He was given this marvelous and this glorious name. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is not in the grave tonight because he rose again. And the incarnation is that stepping stone. Christ came into this world. It's a stepping stone on the way to Calvary. On Calvary he died, he rose again, he ascended to heaven. One day he's coming. One day he is coming again. The supreme prince, not coming to be born in a manger, not coming in humility, but he is coming in glory to judge this world, to judge man for his sin. And we are reminded here of the great name of the Savior, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is your view of Christ tonight? What do you think of the Savior? Do you confess him as your Lord and as your master in life? That as Paul is teaching here, you desire to be like Christ. And you look at his humility and his selflessness in service and you desire to follow his example. That's the point of what Paul is saying here and what Paul is teaching. That we would desire to walk in the way of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The apostle said in another place about imitating me, following me, even as I also imitate or follow Christ. And he is our great example. And when we think of these Thoughts regarding his coming into the world. Let us be selfless. 
Let us be servants of our Savior. Let us rejoice and give thanks and confess him as our Lord and not be ashamed because of the great things that he accomplished for us. May we rejoice. May we rejoice in this time of year. There are many who focus upon the worldliness of this season and reject it completely and reject it within the church. But yet, how marvelous it is to be able to preach on Christ and to focus the attention of ourselves away from the world and upon the Savior who came into the world to raise up the message of the incarnation as seen in Scripture as a great witness for Christ and for the name of Christ. Let us rejoice that we can sing about the Savior and praise Him and read about Him and that we can hear the great and glorious message of His incarnation. We're saved, we're redeemed. Why? Because He came into this world. He humbled Himself. Let us not be filled with pride, but let us be filled with humility also like our Savior. And let us desire to serve Him with humility. May the Lord bless His word tonight for His name's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn in closing to the hymn 106. The hymn 106. One hundred and six. While, shep- while shepherds watched their flocks by night, while seated on the ground, the angel of the Lord came down and glory shone around. One hundred and six, and we'll we'll sing all six verses as we close.
us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank thee tonight for the incarnation. Uh, we pray that we would rejoice in it, and we would keep it in our minds, and we would be thankful that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Father, we pray for those who are outside of thy kingdom. Speak to their hearts, we pray, and may they realize and contemplate that Christ did come into this world, and he came into this world to save and redeem sinners. Father, we pray that thou would move this evening, that we would have that joy, we would know thy salvation. Do remember, Father, the, the coffee, and remember the treats downstairs. We pray that uh, thou would bless our partaking, bless our fellowship, accept our thanks, and we pray for safety, thy blessing upon us this week. And may the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.